As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. I think it's important to look at time throughout the whole process. How much time do you have to make your decision? How much time are you going to be in this property? And when it comes to negotiation, which side, the buyer or seller, who has the greater need to act. As a loyal Best Ever listener, you know that it's important that we as entrepreneurs focus on managing our time effectively, which is why we're always looking for ways to automate the basic duties of our business so that we can focus more time on our money-making activities. That's why I want to introduce you to Rentler.com. At Rentler, landlords and property managers can perform all their duties in one place. Rentler offers tools that allow you to automate tasks like listing a unit for rent, finding and screening tenants, collecting rent, and managing the maintenance requests. And even better, these tools are offered at zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever to get started today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. With us today, Alex Goldstein. How you doing, Alex? I am doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Joe. Well, my pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Alex. He is a top producing real estate agent. He's based in Scottsdale, Arizona. He has also been an investor a developer, and a principal in over $50 million worth of land, commercial, and residential real estate transactions. He's written three books. So with that being said, Alex, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure, Joe. be my pleasure. So my background, I started in investment and development and built a pretty significant business in a lot of different property types. And as a lot of people did, I took my lumps in the downturn. And one of the things that I recognized was that the level of service I was receiving from the agents who represented me was not really up to snuff. So I got into the agency business and started representing other people on their deals so that they could receive the kind of service that I wish that I had. So Today, my primary focus is on helping high net worth families with their real estate needs. And I'm unusual because of my background, having experience in so many deal types, that I work on both residential and commercial. So I'll help people with their primary residence, their business, office location, and income property. And my typical client is more concerned with protecting their wealth and sleeping well at night than on getting really aggressive with their investments. As a real estate investor versus an agent, 
I imagine, but maybe this is an incorrect assumption, that you can make more money investing versus being an agent. If that's the case, then why choose to be an agent versus an active investor? And perhaps that's not correct. I don't know. Yeah, I suppose in the grand scheme of things, you can't become a billionaire by becoming an agent. <laughs> With a few exceptions, somebody like Gary Keller, but that's really more about building a business than being yep. an agent per se. So generally speaking, there is a cap, but you can certainly make an excellent living as a real estate agent. And it really comes down to what aspect of the business do you most enjoy and I really do like working with people and I like helping people with their transactions and helping them to get the best results and to not make big mistakes. So Makes I really sense. enjoy the position that I'm in. Cool. So you mentioned that your focus is on helping high net worth families with real estate needs. How do you meet high net worth families? Well, I do get referrals from past clients. I'm fortunate to have a good base of clients who've been very happy with the work that we've done together. And then I also do online advertising to continually find new clients. How do you advertise? What do you do? I use Google AdWords and Facebook ads. And what has been some lessons learned on Google AdWords and Facebook ads? Well, I think the main thing is, is that they're always changing the rules, but the fundamentals seem to apply. I think that the hardest thing for people to do when they're advertising online is to distinguish themselves from the herd. And it seems to me a lot of folks who are advertising online are sort of just doing the same things that other people do. And it's a bit of a race to the bottom. So I think you have to be constantly reinventing your advertising and really paying attention to getting people, getting their attention and delivering results. So how do you not do what other people do and focus on getting their attention? Well, I try to put myself in the shoes of that individual and think, what would I want if I were in their situation? That's how I got into this industry was thinking, okay, when I was making investments, what were the things that were most frustrating to me? When I purchased and sold residences, what were the things that I wanted but wasn't getting? And that's the position that I take is just basically treating the client the way that I would want to be treated. And that's obviously going to be very different depending on that client and their needs. And so different methods of advertising are going to speak to those different needs. So what would an ad be? Like, Can you give an example just to illustrate that a little bit? Well, you're limited in terms of how much you can really do with an AdWords ad. So it's very micro level. It's not like there's some magic sauce, but we're always testing to see what resonates the best. I think that the key is also that not just that first ad experience, but what happens after they click the ad. Are they getting onto a site that gives them the information they want that loads quickly? And are you giving them something that's going to help distinguish your service from everyone else? And I think part of what's been helpful for me is the fact that I have written several books on real estate and people tend to gravitate towards that, or at least the types of clients that I like to work with are people who find that valuable. So does the ad mention that you're an author or does it say need help protecting your wealth or just what's an example just to kind of illustrate this a little bit? Well, again, there's a lot of different types of campaigns. And so some are going to be local, some are targeted to people coming from other places, but the idea is really to maintain a consistency. So if I'm advertising to somebody 
in Texas for property in Arizona, then I'm going to reiterate that when they get to my website. Okay, I know something about people in Texas or I have something to do with Texas. So it's not just like I'm grabbing your attention and sending you something irrelevant. So I think that for a lot of advertising, the effectiveness goes down because people aren't really pretending to be a customer and go through their own experience. So I think that's really is just be empathetic. Imagine what it's like to be on the other side Mm -hmm. and take it step by step. And then you just do whatever you can to improve that process on each step. You mentioned that we're always testing to see what works best. Who's we? Well, I guess that's the royal we. (laughs) I have hired companies in the past to do advertising for me, but I found that actually I've been performing better doing it myself. So so I really am the chief marketing officer (laughs) of the business now because I didn't get the kinds of results I wanted with those agencies. Not to say that I wouldn't hire again, but uh, that's where I am right now. How did you measure the agency's success versus what you can do? What quantifiably did you look at? Well, you've got a lot of basic metrics in terms of cost per click and things like that. So there's some of that. But ultimately, what I care about is how much money am I putting in before I get a client, basically, or a reasonable prospect to work with. And so I just found that doing it myself, I tend to get better results than I was getting. And Obviously, you're paying them a significant amount of money to manage. So they're kind of behind the eight ball in that they have to do considerably better just to get their own feedback. And obviously, they're providing a service in terms of saving time, and I get that. But for whatever reason, I've just found that my own ads that I've run myself have given me really satisfactory performance. And the other thing about working with agencies is I feel like the communication and the transparency – was a problem with a lot of different agencies. So when I launch a campaign now, I can monitor it through the whole process and know exactly how it's going. And I don't have delays because I'm there. I can see it all. And that was a a frustration I had with a few different agencies where it was sort of like just a black box and you'd find out a month later if it was working. (laughs) And I didn't like that. (laughs) No, no, I I wouldn't either. I, I hear you on that. What is the investment range that you would have with an agency on a monthly basis? You mean like how much were they How much they cost? Yeah. I think of it as an investment because there's an ROI associated. I'll speak more plainly. How much did it cost? Most of the agencies were between 500 and 1000 bucks a month. Okay. So I think maybe hired four different agencies in the last few years. Some of them I got okay results, but it was either the communication or just the ROI wasn't quite what I was looking for. And that's probably just the retainer, not including the actual ads, right? Oh, yeah. You yeah, know, that's just their fee. And then there's my spend on top of that. Yeah. And how do you think of your spend? What type of ratio do you look for when you say, okay, I'm going to invest X amount, and I know that my lifetime value of a customer, acquired customers, X amount. What does that look like? Well, it's not very scientific in my industry, <laughs> uh, at least in terms of the niche that I serve, because a lot of my best prospects will take a really long time to actually result in a transaction. So for me, I think the way it works is I really just have to use some assumptions about what percentage of leads will ultimately result in transactions. So for any given campaign, 
it could still be resulting in deal flow years later. And it's really hard to track. So I guess it's a little bit of horse sense and a little bit of just making sure that the numbers are so far skewed in my favor that it would be hard to lose. Now let's move on to service because you mentioned you got into this aspect of real estate because the level of service you got from other agents wasn't good enough. So what specifically do you do that is above and beyond the typical level of service? Well, I think I'm a lot more patient than most agents are. I think a lot of agents take a sort of scarcity-minded perspective about working with a client like that they have to do a deal soon or they're going to lose the opportunity. And suppose that there is always that risk, but I'd rather build my reputation on advising people thoroughly. So if someone needs to move quickly, we'll move quickly, but I also don't want people to be rushed into making transactions, particularly when there may be millions of dollars on the line. So being methodical and patient, I think differentiates my service a lot. Also, we talked a little bit more about advertising than I would have anticipated, but the truth is that that's also a great value add for my clients because if I'm going to be selling their property, I have an ability to draw a tremendous amount of attention for that property online. And I think because I have hands on to the advertising and I know about the property, I can really connect the dots and get a lot of attention pretty quickly. So I think that's a value add for the people that I'm selling for. Absolutely. You're the CMO. (laughs) I didn't think we'd be talking so much about advertising either, but I just rolled with it because you sound like that is one of the two ways that you get high net worth families and high net worth families, whether a best ever listener is a fix and flipper or a syndicator or a real estate agent. High net worth families tend to be a pretty good target audience for them, so I figured we'd get into how you acquire them. You mentioned the other way is through referrals. Anything in particular that you do to facilitate referrals? Probably not as much as I should do. I try to keep in touch with people and just find out what's going on in their lives, but I don't have anything really formal in terms of that. I think the best thing that I can do is just do a good job for people and make sure that they remember me, that I'm somewhat top of mind. So I try to keep in touch with my past clients, but that's about it. You've written three books. If you had to write a fourth, what would the fourth one be about? Well, I do love to write, so I think that my next book's probably not going to be on real estate. (laughs) I feel like I've said a lot about real estate, so I'm actually working on a book about wine. So that might not be the answer you want. (laughs) Hey, that's the truth, though. (laughs) You got to go with it. Have you worked with families that are not high net worth when you were first getting started as an agent? Yeah. When I first started working as an agent, at the time, the market was really depressed and there were tons of REO deals. So there were a lot of people that were out searching for $100,000 properties. And it's not to say that today I won't work with people who aren't high net worth. It's just that's not the focus of the business and the advertising. So we do have a broad spectrum of clients but that's really the focus. So I've done everything from $100,000 deals to $7 million deals in Arizona and everything in between. What's the difference in questions that you're asked with high net worth families where you know you have to be prepared to answer? Well, I think that the high net worth families that I work with for the most part, it takes a while to sort of melt the ice, so to speak. Like, there can be people who are not just going to hand over their business or hand over their trust. So I think it takes some time. 
and that process is really driven by individual personalities, experience, and needs. So I don't think there's a blanket statement that I can make. But again, the families that are going to work best with me are people who are willing to go through the process and be methodical and who treat it seriously. One of the things that I've been sort of cheerleading for for years is for people to recognize that their home is a very significant part of their financial plan, even though it's not treated as such. And I don't think you should treat your house like an investment. I think that you should enjoy it, make enjoying it and the best lifestyle the number one priority. However, I also think it's important to not make a huge mistake with it because you don't want to lose a million dollars or more when you go to sell your property. That's some of the stuff that I put out there and try to get on people's radar. You just did an ad campaign. Congratulations. You just got a lead. Come through. First off, what information do they provide you whenever they fill out a form online? Typically, it's just an email address. Sometimes people will provide their phone number as well. So if we have a phone number, we'll do our best to connect with them and then start sending them what I think are some pretty valuable information via email so they can start getting a handle on what's going on in the marketplace. And that was my question. So once they submit their information, what's the follow-up process so that you can melt the ice with them? Well, basically let them know the services that are available to them. And then I also write a weekly newsletter that covers luxury properties in the Phoenix metro area. So we're now over 400 additions into it. So it's got a pretty deep base of readers. And I think that people find that incredibly valuable to getting a handle on our market. Mm, Okay. And do you have a planned process for jumping on a call with them? whenever they submit their information or is it just the emails and newsletters and then they'll reach out to you when they're ready? Yeah, I think that calling people cold, so to speak, is harder and harder to do. People are just less likely to pick up the phone. So I think sometimes it may even start via text. So my attitude is is that I want people to know that I'm here for them, but I also don't want to be a pest. Mm -hmm. So I make myself available and Again, with a lot of these types of decisions, they're large decisions. So I think my ideal client is more likely to be in the sort of gathering information phase, figuring out who they want to work with phase. And that's where I try to demonstrate my value rather than just hammering them with phone calls or stuff like that. (laughs) Fair enough. With the weekly newsletter that you do, anything in particular that's in there that has been especially attractive or resonated really well with your audience? You know, I don't think there's a magic bullet other than the consistency of it. Um, You know, most of the newsletters that I see coming from people in the industry, they're either, here's my listings and they're just kind of hammering people with buy my stuff, (laughs) or they tend to go in the opposite direction and get really cutesy. And it's like, here's my chocolate chip muffin recipe and here's a picture of my cat and stuff like that. So what I do is I just provide my take on what's going on in our real estate market and in the economy more broadly, because it can obviously have an impact. And I think that the consistency of that allows people to get to know me and to understand what it would be like to work with me. So there's no do this and suddenly money's going to fall out of the sky. It's just showing up each week and providing value. And then at some point you get the call. That's pretty incredible. Seven plus years you've been doing that. Yeah, it's been a long time and it's evolved tremendously from when I first started. What was the content like 
when you first started compared to now? Well, when I first started, I think it was really just the listings and kind of like, here's what's going on. Very factual, but not a lot of personality. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I started giving myself more permission to interject my thoughts into things and to really actually writing content that was, at least to me, I thought useful and interesting. What's an example that was in your one of the recent newsletters where you wrote editorial or content about something that was useful or interesting? I'm trying to think here. That's a good question. Let's see. I've got an archive of all, all this stuff, but okay. So like, in, for instance, in the last edition, I let people know about the fact that Maricopa County is the fastest growing county in the country, which I think is an important thing to know. Wow. In the country? Yep. Dang. So we had 202 people a day move here in 2017, which is more than any other county in the United States. So that's an important fact for people to know. And then I sort of segue from that into some commentary about the luxury home price surge that's being seen around the country and just talk about what's happening in some other markets and what might happen locally. So just my thoughts and I have my crystal ball is no better than anyone else's, but Hopefully people see what I see or can relate to it and will want to find out more. Based on your experience as a real estate investor and now primarily focused as being an agent, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best advice ever is to pay attention to time just as much or more than money. I think a lot of people are focused on the surface level numbers and when they're selling a property, they may have ego where they want to get a certain number or when they're buying, they may be stuck on a certain price. And I think it's important to look at time throughout the whole process. How much time do you have to make your decision? How much time are you going to be in this property? And when it comes to negotiation, which side, the buyer or seller, who has the greater need to act? who has more time and flexibility and who's under more pressure. So that's the best advice that I can give people because I feel like it's overlooked and it's really important. That is an important leverage point. That's for sure. Who's in the greater need of the time in that transaction if someone's needing to sell or if someone is needing to buy. Absolutely. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You looking for a one-stop landlording software that helps you create listings, find and screen tenants, and accept rental payments while managing maintenance requests? Oh, by the way, it's zero cost to you. Go to tryrentler.com forward slash best ever. That's T-R-Y-R-E-N-T-L-E-R.com forward slash best ever. Looking to build a predictable and duplicatable real estate investing business? Do over 100 flips a year Whether it's flipping or wholesaling, experience a difference with the Ultimate Real Estate Investing Course now and also get a free strategy session with Dylan. He's been a guest on the podcast before. You can use the code JOE20 for 20% off. Everything you need to know in one course, go to www.theultimaterealestateinvestingcourse.com. What's the best ever book you've read? Best ever book is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I have not read the book, but I've heard Tony Robbins talk about his story many times. Actually, today. I was listening to it today. One of Tony's audios. I was listening to that. It's an easy read, so not very long, but it's potent. Best ever deal you've done? I think that sometimes the best deals are the deals that you don't do. 
And a mistake can be so costly that it wipes out the gains that you may have made over a long time. So not too long ago, I had a client who was very hot to uh, purchase a property, was going to put millions of dollars into it, and I talked him out of it. And it would have been an easy six-figure commission, but I was very proud of the fact that uh, they didn't do it because I think that they were making a surface-level analysis, and they would have probably lost a seven-figure sum on that deal. Do they recognize the solid that you gave them? Oh yeah, they were, they were very, very grateful <laughs> after after the dust was settled. They're like, "Whoa, <laughs> we almost made a big mistake." What was it about the transaction that you saw something? Well, the views were beautiful from this lot, but when I walked the lot, I felt like there were some irregularities in the way that it was shaped and how they'd be able to use it, and that ultimately the magnitude of the type of property that they wanted to create wouldn't have been supported despite the fact that the lot was in a place with tremendous views and surrounded by really high-end properties. I think it ultimately would have been the kind of odd duck, so to speak, Mm -hmm. on the block. And I think that it could have been like if they had built the property there that they had intended to build, it really could have been something where they ultimately took $2 million loss or something in the end. Wow. That's some vision. That comes from experience right there. You can't read about that in the book. That's for sure. Yeah. When you took some lumps in the downturn, 2008, what was the reason why your portfolio took the lumps? If you were to look at it very emotionlessly, what would you say the reason why was? I think you just found the subject of my fourth book, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can combine that with the wine one and that will be better for you. I think that a short version of it is that I underestimated how much time it would take to unwind some of these deals. The biggest issue that we had was that things were taking longer than anyone expected because it was such a boom. So if you were building, your deal was going to take a lot longer to complete. And if you were doing entitlements, it was going to take longer to go through. So it was kind of like I saw that the crash was coming, but it was almost like you're just being stuck where you just could not unwind things fast enough or get things completed. So even though I think I was aware probably 18 to 24 months before the market, it wasn't enough to kind of remedy the situation. So that was really the lesson for me was just recognizing that again, time is a big factor and we can underestimate time. And that was one way where I underestimated it and I wouldn't make that mistake again. And those properties weren't cash flowing. So you had to sell them and they weren't able to sell quickly. Yeah, there was a lot of different types of deals that were in the works at that point. But the long and the short of it is that the winners were just not enough to carry the losers in a way that was able to unwind in an orderly fashion. And by the time properties were completed or zoning was done, it was like the values were just down so much. So we got a lot of deals that were just kind of flat and some of them were way down. Best ever way you like to give back? Well, I give back in three ways. I think there's money, time, and knowledge. So for me, the money is the easy one and just writing checks with time. I've been volunteering for the International Wine and Food Society, serving on the board here for about 10 years. and I love that. It's a great passion of mine. And with knowledge, it's just writing books and hoping that people can learn from my experiences. Best ever way the best ever listeners can get in touch with you. You can check out the website for my latest book. It's nononsensebook.com. And the book is called No Nonsense Real Estate. And there's a contact form if anybody wants to reach out to me. And what's your real estate agent website? 
It's luxaz.com. That's L-U-X-E-A-Z.com. Excellent. Well, Alex, thank you so much for being on the show, talking to us about a wide range of topics from 2008 lessons learned to what you're doing now to partner up and, and work with high net worth families on real estate transactions as an agent, how you attract them through referrals, the differentiating features or, or value propositions you have, the patients, advertising, and then also your real estate expertise. I love that story that you mentioned, as well as getting into the marketing and the, the online advertising. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Looking to build a predictable and duplicatable real estate investing business? Do over 100 flips a year. Whether it's flipping or wholesaling, experience a difference with the ultimate real estate investing course now and also get a free strategy session with Dylan. He's been a guest in the podcast before. You can use the code JOE20 for 20% off. Everything you need to know in one course, go to www.theultimaterealestateinvestingcourse.com.